pray, Father, that you'll uh, grab a hold of our hearts and our lives. Um, may, we, uh, may we truly receive what you have for us today. Holy Spirit, I, we know it depends on you working. I pray, God, that this would not be anything more than what you want it to be. That's what I would ask. So speak to us today through your word. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name. Amen. Amen. All right, you guys glad to be here today? Aren't you glad for whoever invented indoor heating? Aren't you glad? It's an amazing thing. However, on a hot August day in southern Illinois, I even appreciate air conditioning more. Amen. I want you to know that. I really do. And just by the way, just so you'll know, this week when y'all are having lows again about zero and highs of about 18, your mission team will be suffering for Jesus. And it will be about 85 degrees. And uh, so I want you to know we'll be thinking of you. Um, we'll probably even don a coat or two just in honor of you. Not! Not! All right, very good. Hey, we are in a, a loose series. I, I went into a sermon video because I said, you know what, we just need to kind of put a cap on this. But, but we, we are in a loose series that I've called Perspective 2018. And, and we're talking about different ways we're going to view this year. And you saw in the video, uh, we got Youth Sunday coming up at the end of the month. We got Baptist Men's Day next week where Roth Clayton will be speaking to you guys then. Um, we have, I think, Faith McKenzie lined up for Youth Sunday. So we're seeing different ways and different things we do and how we view the uh, 2018. Hopefully Roth will bring a perspective on being a man, a Christian man in this culture. And that'd be a perspective. What it means to be a youth, a student in this culture today. So that's kind of the big idea. And of course today, being Sanctity of Life, I wanted to talk about our perspective on Christian cultures. But as I did that, I really stumbled into something I think is just so appropriate. You know, in case you don't know me well enough as in my teaching, you know, I think knowledge of the Word of God is a fine thing. We ought to know the Word of God. And, frankly, I think we should obey the Word of God. I think what we know God says do, we ought to do. And what He says don't do, we ought not to do. However, I, I take particular pleasure as a teacher when we um, find the Word of God applicable to help us in life. And that's what I stumbled upon as we look at 1 John chapter 2. Um, I just, I said, Lord, thank you. This is so appropriate and so applicable for our lives today. So if you'll take your Bibles and look at 1 John chapter 2, we're going to talk about perspective today. Um, can we throw up those pictures I got there? Yeah, there you go. This is one that is in the video. And of course, you can see it's all because... You remember when we did the eclipse one? Where, if it depends on where you hold the ball, what looks bigger? Well, obviously, the guy's hand is not as big as the Eiffel Tower. But it looks that way. It's all about perspective. How about the next one there? I thought this was really good. This is really good. I hope you... I, I apologize. I know these images are not very clear. But you can see it. One guy on this little tiny island who's been shipwrecked there, you know, looks out and sees a guy in a boat going... Uh, go, boat going... Bah! boat! And the guy in the boat who's been stuck in the boat looks at the little island and goes, land, land! It just all depends on your perspective on where you are. And this last one really is a tricky one. If you look to the guy that's pointing to four, there are clearly four ends there. But if you look up in the upper end there where it says no three, there are obviously three. Figure it out. It's just an optical illusion and our minds can't straighten it out. It all depends on 
our perspective. And God has a perspective for us to do life. And that's what we want to talk about. Now, there was a time, and you've heard this a lot, and you students, younger guys, you don't know about this, but I'll tell you from ancient history, there was a time in my lifetime when, when culture and the Bible kind of lined up. Now, not perfectly, not perfectly, but culture kind of lined up. Uh, you know, we had some Judeo-Christian values that pretty much lined up with the Bible. Things that, that the Bible said were wrong, culture said was wrong, and the things that the Bible said was right, culture said was right. And then over the last 20 years, and over the last five years, three weeks, we keep seeing culture shifting so rapidly, perspective changing so rapidly. So if there is a time, and I prayed this in the prayer, if there ever was a time when the church needs to be the church, it's right now. If there's ever a time when you as God's people and me as God's people, one of God's people, then if there's ever a time that we need to know what we believe and how we view things, it is now. It is now. Now is not a time to be wishy-washy. Now is not a time to go, well, we're waffling. You know, I don't know. Now is a time that we need to know what we believe, and we need to know it based on the Word of God. So in 1 John and chapter 2, John gives us this wonderful thing. I, I wrote down the words. If, if you need preacher words, this is what I called blessed assure, excuse me, blessed advocate. The next one's gonna be blessed assurance, and then and then we got blessed affection is gonna be the last one. Those, if you need preacher points, that's kind of the points that we have this morning, okay? But let's look first off at blessed advocate. Now, this to me is very rich. Um, you know, again, if, if it was food, it would be a chocolate mousse. Uh, it would be a pecan pie. It would be something like that. Just really, really rich, okay? So, so strap on your hearing ears today and, and get, might want to get your pencil out because I think there's some really good things here we need to hear. So John starts out in 1 John chapter 2 and verse number 1, a term of affection. He says, my little children, I am writing you these things. So he's about to tell us why he is writing these things. Now the question is this, why did God give us these things. Now, in this particular case, he's talking about the things in 1 John. 1 John, of course, was originally a letter that was written to Christians in general, believers in general, okay? So, he's saying specifically, here's why I'm writing these things, okay? And they're appropriate to our lives even today. But on the big scale, have you ever wondered why God gave us this? Why did God give us this? You know, I was talking with one of my friends this week, and we were talking about, so many people think that God gave us the law and all these rules to make us righteous. Not. Not. We can't be righteous based on how we perform. All right? If anything, and truly, the law was given to show our imperfections, to show our need of a Savior. So, so God gave us this. One, it's, a, it's the map to heaven. It's the map to heaven. If you want to know how to go to heaven, this is your map. It doesn't matter what Benny Hinn says. It doesn't matter what Dwayne Taylor says. It doesn't matter what Billy Graham says. Or pick your favorite preacher. It matters what the Word of God says. So this book is the map to heaven. But here's what we don't get. This is the map for life. 
This is the map for life. I'm going to give you a little bit bigger perspective of that in just a moment. But write that down in your mind. Put it in your heart. Put it on paper. That this, God gave us the word of God. Just like John wrote this letter, this epistle, actually. He wrote this epistle, one, for particular reasons. You know, yes, this is the map to heaven, but it's also a map for life. So he says, dear little children, I'm writing you these things. And here it is. Here it is. Hang on. So that you may not sin. That's big. I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Now, I think we wrestle with this. Okay, because most of the time, now there are some things we know and we look at them and we go, oh yeah, that's a big sin. That's a whopper there. I understand why God doesn't like that one. But other things we really like, you know, like, like pride and unforgiveness and things like that. You know, we kind of go, what's the big deal, God? What's the big deal? You know, if you remember the movie from last week when the guy was running track and he found an undetectable steroid and he said, it impacted me, so since it only impacted me, why was it wrong? Well, that's kind of the some way we look at sin. We say, if it only impacts me, hey God, what's the big deal? You kind of need to get over it, God. It's okay. It's not okay. It's not okay. Now, the reason John says, my little children, I am writing you these things so that you may not sin, is one, you do need to know this. Sin is offensive to God. Sin is offensive to God. If you want a broad definition of sin, it's whatever offends God. It's whatever offends God. And I, I thought, I said, okay, God, help me to put that down where we can really get it and chew on it. Then here's the deal. Most sins, you know, life is precious. Did you hear that today? You know, we have sanctity of life because life is precious, okay? And one, most sin, if you think about it, most sin impacts people in life. And the reason it offends God is because it hurts that, that which he loves the most. And that's us. Now you think about that. Take that home and chew on that. And that's true. Now, some of us, this fact that sin is unholy, that's a good way of looking at it. That's fine. But if you need more than that, understand that a lot of times sin hurts and, and, uh, hurts and offends those that God loves dearest. So sin is offensive to God. It offends God when you gossip. It offends God when you abused your spouse. It offends God when you lie, cheat, or steal. It's offensive to God. But the second thing is this, and it ties in, is it also harms us. God knows, one, he's holy, it offends him, but two, God loves you. And God knows what will harm you, and so he tells, thou shalt nots and thou shalt, because he doesn't want you harmed. He loves you that much. As a parent, you know, sometimes we say no to our children. Okay, we just say no. Okay, why? Because I said so. Well, I really believe that there's very little in God's word where he just says no just to say no. I think if you really look, there are reasons why God says no and God says yes. And that is, that blesses me. That there's a father in heaven who loves me enough. He knows what's going to hurt me and says no. He knows what's going to bless me and he says yes. That's very important. Now, there's a scripture over in James chapter 1. We've used it before. In James chapter 1 verse 14 and 15. And um, remember James was the half-brother of Jesus. He kind of grew up with Jesus, okay, which would be a really unusual experience. Okay, but listen to what James says. Now listen real carefully. Each person is tempted when he's drawn away and enticed 
by its own evil desire. In other words, James is starting to say already, he says, you know, we're tempted when we have this desire, okay? And it's a wrong desire. It is. You want revenge. You want someone to hurt like you hurt. You want what someone else has, and you'll do whatever necessary to do it. You're not happy, and so you'll do whatever it takes for you to be happy. If you're not happy in this marriage, you'll break that marriage to get into another marriage, and sometimes you won't wait for the marriage to be over. You'll find you a friend, okay, because that will make you happy, okay? All right? <laughs> Reminds me of the TV commercial. We'll send you home happy, all right? The car commercial, all right? I am writing these things so you may not sin, Okay, and then James says, but Aver, each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own desire, evil desire. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. So that craving leads to sin, which is offensive to God, and harms you, and harms you. And watch this, and when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. Isn't that a unique way of putting it? When sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. I said this, I think, even last week. That when sin touches something... Now, you've got to stay with me. This is important. This is going to help you. It may help you this week. That when sin is full grown, whatever sin touches dies. Things die. You remember the credit card commercial? What's in your... Wallet. Yeah, we hear it all the time. What's in your wallet? They have different spokespeople, but for years they've ran that commercial. What's in your wallet? Well, may I ask you a question today? What's in your cemetery? What's in your cemetery? Because you see, again, James says, let me read the whole verse to you again, verse two, the two verses. But each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desires. I want that. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, actual action. Not only I want it, I'll do whatever it takes to get it. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. So every one of us have a cemetery in our life. And it's things that have died in our life. What's in your cemetery? And I can go two ways with this. Say, I thought this was really good. This is one of those times I said, hey, thank you, Lord, that's pretty cool. See, on some of the tombs, you know, all cemeteries have tombstones. And for those of us and those of you who have said yes to sin, that perspective of yes to sin, you go and over here on this tombstone, it's joy. You lost your joy a long time ago. You're a believer in Jesus Christ and you are miserable. You know why? Because your joy died. And that's what's buried in your cemetery. Some of you are restless today and fearful because your peace died. And over, on this, over here is a tombstone that says the word peace. And your peace died. Some of you felt like God let you down and so your faith died. Some of you over here, there's character is written down. Testimony is written down. Back over here is someone and their tombstone and their cemetery has the word marriage. Because their marriage died. What's in your cemetery? And every one of us today have a cemetery and we have tombstones where things have died because of our poor choices and sin touched them and they died. By the way, I'm glad we serve a resurrection God. 
I'm glad we serve a resurrection God. Where there's testimony or character or joy or peace or marriage or relationships, whatever it is, I'm glad we serve a God who can resurrect those that sin has killed. But, 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 there's a good side to the cemetery. Because when we surrender to God, when we have the right perspective, and we obey God, things die. Things like lust, jealousy, envy, pride. And some of you, thankfully, we have tombstones in our cemetery that show things that needed to die. You may have had a drug habit, and that died one day. You have, I talked to a lady, 31 years ago, we walked the valley together, the road together, with her quitting smoking. She was so addicted to cigarettes, and we prayed together and worked together, and she called me, and we shared the same birthday, and she called me and said, Dwayne, 31 years ago, you encouraged me, encouraged me, and Dwayne, I haven't had a cigarette in 31 years. That died in her life. So we all have a cemetery... But the question is, what's on the tombstones? Has things that God wanted to bless you with died? Or have you allowed things to die in your life that needed to die? Because what's in touches dies. But what God touches can be brought back to life. Amen? Okay, okay, okay. So, back in John. My little children, I am writing you these things so you may not sin. But then he says... But if anyone sins, and one of the commentaries made it really clear, you know, we sin as believers. We sin as believers. We don't become perfect after our salvation. We sin. And he said that word could easily have been translated, and when anyone sins. Because we're going to sin. When anyone sins, here, I love this, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. So when we choose to disobey God, we have an advocate. That word in the Greek, and again, don't think I'm Mr. Smarty Pants because I'm not, okay? But this is a word I happen to know, and the word in the Greek is parakletos. Parakletos. It means um, helper. It means one called alongside, okay? And what's really cool is Jesus called himself parakletos, and then he also spoke about another parakletos over in John chapter 14, verse 15. He says this. By the way, file this away. If you love me, keep my commands. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. If you love me, keep my commands. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another parakletos, okay? Another helper that he may abide with you forever. So, so Jesus is saying, okay? You know, John is saying that if we sin... We have an advocate, we have a helper, we have one called alongside, and it also means, by the way, one of the same type. So, so we didn't walk with Jesus on the earth, but Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, lives within us every day. And if we sin, we have this advocate. Isn't that good news? Trust me, it is. You may not like lawyers. Sorry, Mike. You may not like lawyers, but when you need one, you love them. You love one. And that's the way it ought to be. We should love. Well, let me tell you something. We need this advocate. It's not occasionally, Mike, you know, you know, I might go see Mike and say, Mike, hey, I messed up and got a speeding ticket. And I don't think I was guilty, but, well, not that guilty. I was guilty, but not that guilty. 
Okay? You know, you know. But let me tell you something. We need this advocate every day. And Jesus Christ is that advocate. And he's there to intercede for us. And he's the only one. Listen to this. Listen to this. In 1 Timothy 2, 5, and 6. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. God, man, one mediator, Jesus Christ, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Now, if you're old like me, or near old like me, or if you're one of those groupies that like Star Trek. Any Star Trek people here? Yeah, yeah. Remember? Do you remember what Spock said one time? I think he had to go into a nuclear reactor room, you know, and he knew he was going to die, you know. And, and he was laying there all crunched up next to the glass, and Spock, or, uh, Kirk is on the outside. And he says these words, The needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. The needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. And then Kirk says, Or the one. Or the one. When, when Paul writes in 1 Timothy, who gave himself a ransom for all, Jesus Christ said, the need of the many outweighs the need of the one. He was willing to suffer and die for the needs of us. And the need we had was forgiveness of sins. The need we had was a rescue. The need we had was a redemption. The need we had was a, was a resurrection in our lives because we were dead in trespasses and sins. Isn't that good stuff? Aren't you glad you've got an advocate? Aren't you glad you have an intercessor? And by the way, just for fun, I happen to know Mike Oshel as a personal friend. I could call another lawyer, and they said, we think we can see you next Tuesday. And I'm pretty sure, Mike, if I called you today at 5 o'clock and said, Mike, I need to talk to you right away. Something's happened. You'd make time for me. We have an advocate! Who never says, we have an advocate who never says, I'm too busy. We have an advocate who says, oh, I'm sorry, that don't fit my schedule. We have an advocate who's always there, always on the job, and never loses a case. Amen. That thing, son. What a wonderful... And then, in Acts 4.12, Paul, uh, Luke writes and says, there is not salvation in any other, for there's no other name under heaven, given among men, whereby we must be saved. One mediator, one name, and it's Jesus Christ. And John says, when we sin, we have a helper. We have an intercessor with the Father, Jesus Christ, the Lord. Now he, then he shows how he did it. In verse 2, he himself is the atoning sacrifice. Now we used that word last week. Atoning sacrifice, the propitiation the appeasement of God's wrath. He alone is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Now watch this, watch this, watch this. Not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. How big was Jesus' sacrifice? Enough to cover the sins of every man, woman, and child ever born or to be born. That's power in the blood. That's power in the blood. That all gets your motor going. You know, I've I got one of them new starter things in my car. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. My little Ford car. I went down to Best Buy, and they put me in my remote start zone. And before I go get in that cold, well, actually, the car's at home, but the van's got one, too. Before I go get in that van, 
I'm going to mash a button. And that motor is going to get going. And then when I get out and get in that van, it's going to be warm. Well, let me tell you something. These truths ought to get your motor going. And when it gets your motor going, you ought to get warmed up. Y'all get warmed up. All right? So, so he says, we have an advocate. His name is Jesus Christ. And if we sin, he's there. And he himself is the atoning sacrifice, the appeasement for God's wrath, payment for our sins, and not only for ours, but for those of the whole world. Then we move to blessed assurance. Because I know some of you out there go, Dwayne, how can you know you're saved? How can you know you're saved? Well, watch this. In verse number 3, 1 John 2, this is how we know that we know Him. This is how we know that we know Him. So there is a way, there's an indicator that will tell us how we can know that we know Jesus. I think I told you this before, but the very first sermon I preached in 1982 was, Do you know that you know? Because I'm glad, listen, I'm glad there's no hope, so maybe salvation. I'm glad that I'm not going to get to heaven and God went, oops. I'm glad I don't have to wonder if I'm saved today and lost tomorrow. I'm glad I know that I know. Well, how do you know that you know, Dwayne? How can we know that you know? Well, John tells us. This is how we know that we know if we keep his commands. Now, this is one of those scriptures I kind of want to go, now wait, push back a little bit, Dwayne. Because the first thing we want to do is tie in appeasing God with that. Oh, I get it. God likes me when I perform and when I don't, He don't. That is not what it says. This is talking about knowing that you're a believer. Not becoming a believer, not staying a believer, or not God liking you if you are a believer. This is all about you. Okay? How can you know that you know? You can know that you know if we keep His commandments. That's how we know. Obedience is a birthmark of a believer. Obedience is a birthmark. Doesn't earn my salvation, doesn't earn my peace on God, but assures me in my heart, okay, that I am a believer in Jesus Christ. And we wrestle with this. We wrestle with this. Um, Y'all have heard of the famous novel, A Tale of Two Cities, of which I have never read. I don't know why I even know the title of that thing. If I remember right, sucker's like that thick. Okay? Well, I want to tell you a tale of two dogs. Jen and Matt have two dogs. And like us, they were both rescue dogs. So, one day, Jen and Matt went to wherever you go to rescue dogs. I don't know if it's like the pound or the electric chair or what. I don't know. You know, wait, I'll save them. I don't know. But anyway, so they got this rup dog, okay? And Matt had emphatically said there will never be a dog in our house. But how Jennifer convinced him, I don't know. But anyway, they were the dog. Well, that was amazing enough. But like six months later, we get this phone call. And they had gone down and rescued another dog, Okay? One was named Rupp, after Rupp Arena. That's a big Kentucky fan. And the other's named Callie because... Yeah, I think it was named Callie when they rescued it. I don't know. Maybe the mother named it Callie. I don't know. But they had these two dogs. Now, these two dogs are both rescued dogs. They both live in the same house. And they both are pretty nice dogs. 
but they both have different personalities in this sense. Matt and Jen have one of those invisible fences, okay? And Rupp is so stinking compliant. I mean, you know, Rupp, go to bed, you know, go get in bed, you know? And, and Rupp, if, if, if he nears where the border is for that fence, he just puts on the brakes. Yeah, I'm not going out there. I'm not going to disobey. I'm a rescue dog. I've been redeemed. Very compliant. Callie. Callie's a jailbreaker. I can't get inside her head, but I can. I've personally seen it and witnessed it. And Callie sometimes, Callie sometimes will be running full steam ahead to that fence and put on the brakes. But now more often than not, it's like she's running toward the fence and she weighs the consequences. And she says, I know it's bad. I know it's going to hurt. I know it's disobedience, but hey, it's worth it. And she jailbreaks. And she blows right through the fence. Momentary pain? Yes. But the thought of getting on the other side of the fence is more than the pain and the blessing of obedience. Are we not like that? Come on. Aren't sometimes we Mr. Compliant Christian? Oh, we love Jesus. Yes, we do. I love Jesus. How about you? And we're compliant. But sometimes that stinking sin and temptation rears its ugly head. And we know it's wrong. We know the Word of God. And we're running full strength toward the fence. And the Holy Spirit saying, stop, stop, stop. And we convince ourselves to blow right through the fence. Jailbreak. That's kind of what happens here. This is how we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I have come to know him and yet doesn't keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. He blows through the fence. So often we know, we know bitterness, we know anger, we know adultery, we know affairs, we know drug abuse. All those kind of things are wrong, but the temptation sometimes is so big, we just blow through the fence. And guess where that leads to? Consequences regrets and scars. So a big indicator of if we belong to God and our perspective is what do we do with His rules, His law? See, in this culture, again, you need, students, y'all need to know this. I was blessed. I grew up in that Judeo-Christian Judeo day. I was like, you know, yeah, the culture and church agree, and they don't, guys. You go to high school, and Brits told me, you don't know what goes on in the hallways of the school. Things that turn your hair gray for us older people. And that's what they deal with every day. It's a different culture, guys. And you're going to have to decide, is it going to be the world's culture you're going to buy into, or is it God's culture? You're just going to have to decide. And don't expect your friends to understand, because they won't. Don't even expect your teachers sometimes to understand. Don't expect your parents to even understand. But you got to decide which culture, what you're going to buy into, what worldview you're going to buy in. Now, he goes on and says in verse 5, But whoever keeps his word, truly in him the love of God is made complete. Okay? But whoever keeps his word, truly in him the love of God is made complete. Now, let me read all of this and come back. 
This is how we know that we are in Him. Verse 6, the one who says he remains in Him should walk just as he walked. Now, this is interesting. Obviously, the first part, verse number 5, for, but whoever keeps his word truly in him, the love of God is made complete. That makes sense. We kind of got that. That as we, as we obey the word of God, it's not for appeasement. It's not to make God proud of us. It's a way of showing love to him. We get that. And we even get the last part in verse 6. The one who says he remains in him should walk just as he walked. As Jesus walked, we should walk. We get that. We understand that as Christ followers. But that middle, ver middle part of last, uh, verse number 5, this is how we know that we're in Him. We're not sure where that goes. Does it look backwards or does it look forward? Does it pertain to, but whoever keeps His word, truly in Him, the love of God is made complete? Or does it look forward to, the one who says He remains in Him should walk as He walked? But we're not sure what this is means. This is how we know we're in Him. But it doesn't matter. They're both saying the same thing. That's what matters. That's what matters. I, 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 I'm going to say something. And I, I really, I'm trying these days so hard to be true to the Word of God. But I think I can do this and be true to the Word of God. Look back at verse number 5. But whoever keeps his word, truly in him the love of God, I don't think I would be stretching the Word of God to change that of, which is in the, in the Greek anyway, the love for God is made complete for God. And the word complete means mature. Mature. And I think that puts a really clear understand when we say that, but whoever keeps his word truly in him, the love for God is made complete, is made mature. And then, and then the one who says he remains in him should walk as he walked. So our obedience shows our Love for the Father. And His love for us. And as we obey what He gave us, understanding it's just not a bunch of thou shalt nots and thou shalt's. Like, like God said, I'm going to make you miserable. Thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. When we start understanding that this is the roadmap to heaven and the roadmap to a wonderful life, the best life, is in obedience to God. It starts making more sense. Now, He goes on and says this. Finally, we have blessed affection. He says in, in verse number 15, now we're going to skip down to verse 15 for time's sake. 1 John 2, 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. Do not love the world or the things in the world. Now, now affection can be shown two ways. Love can be shown two ways. I could, I could show my love for Judy, my affection for Judy, by doing things for her. Um, she's not really an acts of service person, but, you know, like washing dishes, vacuuming the floor, things like that, being romantic, time, take carving out time for her. Those are ways that I can show Judy my love and affection. But I also can show my love and affection for Judy by not doing things, like not having a girlfriend on the side. That's not a good idea, in case you're wondering. So we show our affection by what we do or what we choose not to do. So, so when, when John writes, do not love the world or the things in the world, he's saying a way that you show your love for the Father is by not being in love by the world. Again, you can't love two things at one time like that. 
You can try to love two women, it doesn't work. And you try to love two gods, it doesn't work. You have to choose to love God or love the world, but you can't love both. Okay, so, 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 do not love the world or the things in the world. Now, if anyone loves the world, the love of, or it works again, or the love for the Father is not in him. If you love the world, don't try to convince me or yourself. I mean, if you came in as pastor, I said, Pastor, I have this deal going on. What do you think? Do I love God? I'd probably say, yeah, it doesn't look like it to me. Okay? So, so he says, you know, if anyone loves the world, the love for the Father is not in him. And there's real danger there. There's a real danger. Oh, Peter. 1 Peter 2.11 says this. Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Peter says, stay away from it because this world is not your home. You know, we're going to Africa. Did I tell you that? Yeah, we're going to Africa. Now, here's what's going to happen. Lake Victoria is so dirty, they won't let us walk in it. So, so they, I cannot wait, by the way. The, the dude that carried me last year said, Ooh, you're heavy. I can't wait for him to go, You're not as heavy. <laughs> and he's going to be very grateful. <laughs> he's going to be very grateful. But they won't let us walk in the water. Now, amazingly, we saw children go out that same water they won't let us walk in, get a glass down, and chug a lug. Yeah, bad news. It's really bad news. What's the difference? They live there. Their body largely, largely, has built immunity up to the germs in the water. Not always, but they've built immunity. As a foreigner and a stranger, I have not. If I would drink that water, Katie, bar the door. Katie, bar the door. Well, Peter says, dear friends, I warn you because you're temporary residents and, and foreigners here, okay, to keep away from worldly desires, keep away from the worldly perspective. Because they war against what? Your very soul. Your very soul. Hugely important. So don't love the world or the things in the world. Because if anyone loves the, the world, the love for the Father is not in him. Now James writes about this. With James back again, the half-brother of Jesus. He says it. Now this is shock factor. Okay? You adulterous people. <gasps> you know, it's like, you're an adulterer, you know. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? In other words, if you're friends with the world, you become, he says it real clearly, if you're friends with the world, you're at odds with God. Okay? Now again, how do people, how do people who claim to be Christians do that? How do, they, how do they say, you know, I love God, but I'm friends with the world too? How do you, how do they justify that? Well, in 1970, um, Crosby, Seals, and Nash came out with a song. And it, boy, I like, man, 70s, 60s and 70s was when music was music. I don't know what y'all guys, your, you students, what you call your music, but we had real music. In fact, it's so good, y'all still like it. But anyway, uh, Seals came out with a song. I think Nathan Stills came out with a song in 1970. And 1971 was his biggest hit. He had 14 on the charts. And it's bad. It's bad for relationships. But here's what he said. If you can't be with the one you love, baby, love the one you're with. 
Love the one you're with, and that's a good way to end up dead. <laughs> don't try that in your marriage, and don't try if you're dating somebody. Don't try that in your dating relationship either. But that seems to be sometimes the mentality of Christians. I don't feel close to God, so I love the one I'm with. And that happens to be the world. And, and John says, man, or James says, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means entity or enemy against God? And he says it real clearly. Therefore, whoever chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. You need to know that. You need to know that. You need to write, as a believer in Christ, as a believer in Christ, you need to know that. You need to know that when you're in love with the world, that you're at odds with God. Now, you're not going to lose your salvation. He's not going to disown you. And he's not going to be up in heaven pouting about it. But you do open yourself up for discipline. And you open yourself up for regrets, consequences, and scars. Regrets, consequences, and scars. So finally, he says this. John kind of summarizes in verse 16. For everything in the world... Everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's possessions is not from the Father. Now, by the way, let me back up just a little bit. When he says, you know, friendship with the world, understand he's talking about the world system. He's talking about the way the world does business. Largely talking about the things that Satan controls in this world. The culture that Satan controls in this world. Not talking about owning cars and stuff like that. He's talking about the culture. Okay, that the world owns, okay? Now, now everything in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of one's possessions is not from the Father, okay? Now, but it's from the world. And the world with its lust is passing away. But the one who does the will of God remains forever. In other words, everything the world's trying to sell you is passing away. You get to take none of it and you keep none of it. I remember when my sister lived in Daytona Beach, which was really cool, by the way, you better spend some time every summer in Daytona Beach. And they bought a house. And I'm not really sure the story. I don't know if the lady died. I don't know if she just left or if she had you know, went to the nursing home. I'm not sure. But they bought this house. And literally, now look at me, literally, everything stayed. They took her clothes and the pictures on the wall. They had linens, towels, washcloths, furniture, dishes, silver, the whole nine yards. And they still got that furniture today. She left everything behind to wherever she went. Guess what? Everything this world sells you, everything the world's promising you, you're going, just come to this side. Just come to this side. It's all temporal. And you will leave it behind. What God offers, you get to take with you. Take with you. So we have to decide whether it's sanctity of life, whether it's moral issues, whether it's life, whatever it is. We've got to decide what our perspective is going to be. What is your perspective going to be? And I'll tell you right now, this is the guidebook. I, I love teaching the Word of God. It's my privilege to share with you guys every week. I love it. But you need to be a student of this. You need to be able to read the map. Okay? Sometimes... This just popped in my head. Sometimes we depend on a GPS too much and it leads us the wrong way. You know, preachers like GPSs. We hope we get it right, but you need more than a GPS. You need more than a preacher. You need to get in the book. You need to be a 2018, be a student of this book. Be a student of the map. Not because it just offends God if you don't, 
Because I'm telling you, your life will be sweeter and better if you do. If you do. So, two questions. What's your perspective? Are you willing today to choose a perspective from God's point of view? Because I'm telling you, if there's ever a time, young parents, if there's ever a time, students, if there's ever a time, meeting adults, if there's ever a time, senior adults, if there's ever a time that the church needs to be the church, it's today. It's today. It's now. So choose, I'm praying you will choose the perspective from God's point of view, from His Word. And I really, it spoke to my heart. The second thing was, what's in your cemetery? I hope you'll take that home. What's in your cemetery? Whatever sin touches dies. What has died in your life? And believe me, you probably know what it is. You know the joy of the peace has been long gone. And you're one miserable person. You know it and probably people around you know it. What's died? Well, the good news is, invite Jesus to your cemetery. And let him do a little resurrection action. Because he can restore the joy. He can restore the peace. He can heal your marriage. He can heal broken relationships. He can restore broken dreams. He's the resurrection God. And don't forget what's in your cemetery. Thank God for the things that have died and are buried in your cemetery. The lust and the jealousy and envy and all those things. Thank God for that. What's your perspective and what's buried in your cemetery. Let's pray together. Well, Father, I sure thank you for the privilege that's mine to share today. And I want to pray, God, Holy Spirit, that you'll take my mere words and, Father, implant them in the hearts of people. First, I pray, Father, and we didn't talk a lot about this, I know, but I just pray in Jesus' name through the Holy Spirit that you've drawn some people, maybe on the radio, maybe in this room, to yourself for the first time. That there's someone who cannot call you Father, but today they desire to, knowing, Jesus, that you died for them. That you died for the sins of the entire world, and you're willing to forgive their sins if they'll turn from theirs and choose to follow you. So I pray for that. Father, I pray for us, we believers in Jesus Christ. I pray, Father, in this world of such a mixed-up culture, that we'll be the church. That we will choose to follow your word. Thank you that you loved us enough to give us a map. Thank you for teaching us what offends you, but also what will bless us by saying yes or no as applicable to the word. So we're grateful for that. Father, help us in 2018 to live as the people of God, understanding not for your appeasement, not to make you happy, but Father, because of our love for you. I pray for that. And Jesus, I ask this in your precious name. Amen.